0: Good morning, church family. That was nice, thank you. Um, It is an honor and it's a privilege to be here with you this morning. Those of you who do not know me, my name is David. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at River of Life. Pastor, All the pastors are gone. Um, So, Pastor Brian's gone, Matt, Taylor, they're all gone. um, Getting a well-deserved break, visiting their families for the holidays. Today... Uh, we're going to be looking at one of the most popular passages in all of Scripture. And yet the chief aim of Philippians chapter 4 is something that is so coveted and yet seems so far out of reach for so many people all over the world. And that's peace. Thousands of books, songs, poems have been written about peace. Countries and governments and companies all strive to have peace. Neighbors just want a little peace. Husbands, wives, and children desperately want peace in their household. And yet we tend to look for peace in all the wrong places. And the secret to a peaceful life uh, is not to hide away in the mountains. It's not to shut people out. It's not to ignore the things that are going on around us. And although I do enjoy a quiet cup of coffee in the morning, peace is one thing that even coffee can't deliver. The secret to peace is actually no secret at all. God tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9, how we can break the barriers of a peaceful life. So go ahead and open up your Bibles there to Philippians chapter 4. And let's read. I urge Judea and I urge Shantiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The first barrier to a peaceful life is conflict. We read in verses two and three, I urge Judea and I urge Sintiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. We don't know much about the details um, of the disagreement between these two women, but we know that they're in the same body and that this disagreement was causing conflict and disunity within the body. We are people who like to argue. Um, Have you ever been in conflict or disagreed with people in the church? No? Um, It happens a lot. We argue about all kinds of things. We argue about worship songs. We argue about worship styles. We argue about Bible translations. We argue about words that were spoken or not spoken during a sermon. We argue about the use of finances, about the way we do communion. We argue about uh, the way that people behave and don't behave in and out of church. We argue about political issues. We argue about the best ways to serve the needy in our community. And then there are times when we create conflict because we've just wronged others. We've done wrong things to each other. Sometimes we've let each other down or we've left others out. Sometimes we've just been rude or mean to each other and the people around us. When we're in conflict, it eats away at us. It consumes our thought life and we're not in peace. I think about the times... That my wife Jessica and I have been in argument and conflict. You know, the night of a good argument, the day, the next day, I'm just not at peace. I can't think about anything, it consumes my thought life. I have a hard time being in the moment in conversations with people in front of me. I have a hard time being in the moment at work, getting things done. Of course, some conflicts are more consuming than others, but it's pretty simple. The more conflict and disagreement that's in your life, the less peace you will have in your life. So what do we do as Christians? What do we do as Christians when we live in a society uh, with conflict all around us? And in fact, we're even encouraged oftentimes to take a strong stand, or sometimes we're even bullied into that, to expressing our free speech what are we to do when there's so much conflict around us? Hakuna Matata, right? It means no worries. That's what we're to do. No, don't. Okay? Um, that is not what Paul is saying here. And although very much I admire Pumba and Timon, um, Paul's not telling us to just not care. That's not what he's saying. Um, we care about a lot of things, and we should care. But what Paul is telling us is to be united right? That's the call, to be united in the Lord. Paul doesn't take a side. He doesn't say that one woman is right or the other is wrong. He doesn't pick sides, but rather he exhorts them to agree in the Lord so that it doesn't create disunity. It's okay for us to disagree with each other, but it's not okay for us not to be unified as a body. The body functions as a unit, and the more fractured and splintered we are, the less effective we are in contending for the gospel. I have served on the elder board here at River of Life uh, for two years now. And I, I'm really grateful, really grateful that I can stand here and attest to you that your elder board takes this command quite seriously. There are a number of times when uh, There have been difficult situations or decisions to be made, and not everybody perfectly agrees. But uh, at the end of every meeting, your elder board is always unified in the Lord. We refuse to let anything drive a wedge um, in our unity in Christ. And I am super grateful for that. And it's been a great thing, a blessing for me to witness and be part of it, to be honest with you. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that, Steve. Um, you know we stand firm in the Lord because Jesus is the one truth that we can all stand firm in and he's the name in which he calls us to be united in some of you know Corey Ward uh, who attends this church and just yesterday we were talking about this um, and she expressed to me that Jesus is above doctrine and theology he is Jesus is above doctrine and theology. That's why we're to be united in his name. So, I need to go back and answer the question, what are are we to do as Christians in a world of so much conflict? Paul gives us two really practical ways to address conflict in verses three, four, and five. In verse three, Paul asks the true partner, to help these women come back to agreement, seeking counsel from other people and trusted believers is just part of being in the body of Christ. It's one way that we can respond to the call of Galatians 6 2 that we're to bear each other's burdens. It is okay for us to ask for help. And, men, I'm looking at you. It is okay to ask for help. I know, I know. I didn't believe it either until I read it. Um, But let me rephrase that again. Uh, When there's disunity and there is a lack of peace, we ought to seek help. When there's a lack of peace, we ought to seek help from others. Okay? Other trusted believers. And I'll share my story with this a little bit with you. Uh, My wife and I, we struggled and we debated and we argued uh, for four years over how to educate our children. I wanted to send our kids to public school and my wife wanted to homeschool. Truthfully, uh, we just had, we valued different things. And we had different visions for what our family would look like in the future. Uh, so for four years we were not unified in this. Um, And for four years, both of us individually sought a lot of counsel from a lot of great people and heard great wisdom. Um, And individually, separately, we prayed, prayed about it, prayed for each other, and and we still disagreed. (laughs) For a long time, uh, for a long time, I did not want to seek help. From others together. I don't know why, but I just felt uncomfortable with the two of us sitting together talking about this issue with other people um, and seeking that counsel that way. Um, and probably to a fault. You know, we, we sought counsel individually, separately for a long time, and then we'd come back, to would be just the two of us, and we'd still have our arguments. Um, and one wouldn't budge either way or the other, even though we had good counsel. Finally, four years into the debate, Jessica and I together asked for help uh, from Pastor Brian and Rochelle. Uh, And in in that time, they helped us compromise. They helped us see the good and what we both valued. And I think we saw it already. It was just we needed to admit that in front of each other with a third person. And truthfully, what Brian and Rochelle did they urged us just to make a decision and be united. And many people told us that same thing. Um, We just needed to do it together. And after that moment, it really did help. Peace was restored in our house. Oftentimes in our lives, we get to keep the things that we argue for and the limitations that come with it. Jessica and I, we both could have kept our arguments and we could have kept the conflict and then we would have kept the limitations of being disunified as a couple in our parenting and in our marriage. I ask you to consider what are the things that you are arguing for? Are they worth keeping? And are the limitations worth it? Is it worth the disunity? If your name was to be written in a book and a letter to be studied two thousand years later in a congregation of people, would you like your name to be in the place of Udia and Sintiki in verse two, or do you want your name to be studied in verse three like Clement? Do you want to be remembered for your disagreement? Or do you want to be remembered simply for contending for the gospel? Be careful about the things that you stand for and how you stand for them. The second way to address conflict is to have a positive attitude and to be gracious. Verses four and five in our passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. To have joy and graciousness is an unnatural response to conflict, right? It's not the way that we want to react to the world's pressures. So to be joyful in the midst of conflict requires us to be centered in the hope that we have in Christ. And to be gracious and kind in the midst of conflict requires us to have experienced and to know the kindness that God first showed us when we were still his enemy. Romans 2, 3 and 4 put it this way. Do you really think, any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. In the midst of conflict, it is imperative that we we remember that God first showed us kindness. And that it's kindness that leads to repentance. Sometimes we can become so truth-heavy-handed that we just neglect to be kind. Stubbornness and truth-bombs are not what leads to repentance and resolves conflict. We know from John chapter 8, verse 31, that the truth will set you free. That verse is in regard to Jesus himself. He proceeds to tell the Pharisees that he, Jesus, is the way, the truth, and the life, and that Jesus is the truth that will set people free. Truth, bomb, truth bombs don't resolve conflict. It's kindness and graciousness that resolves conflict. And I'll read this, another passage that says it. Let's go to Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness so that perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of Of truth. So, the first barrier to a peaceful life is conflict. God calls us to seek help and to be gracious in all circumstances to all people in order to bring back peace and unity. The second barrier to a peaceful life is worry. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. Let's read those verses again. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Akuna Matata. There it is again. Okay. Um, easier said than done, right? How many of us worried about travel this weekend over the Thanksgiving holiday, right? Um, these are pictures from our car, from our travels. Um, we, this was Friday morning when we were driving home uh, from Flagstaff, and this just gives everybody Colorado PTSD. Um, you know, it, it certainly looks like Vail Pass, Vail Pass was closed off and on all week. Flights in and out of Denver were delayed and canceled. Um, Colorado weather is so uncertain and predictable. Um, and that's where worry comes from. Worry comes from a lack of certainty and a lack of um, control, right? And Colorado weather is the, the epitome of this. Right, it's as unpredictable as John Elway's draft picks. You do not know what you're gonna get. Okay. Now, I do not believe that this text is telling believers not to have concern. Concern can help us make wise choices. Right? Um, I should be concerned while driving here. <laughs> um, but worry can paralyze us. Worry can paralyze us. There are so many things in this world that we don't have control over and that we lack certainty in the outcome. Way too many people in this congregation have been impacted by cancer diagnoses, either themselves or through loved ones. We worry about a variety of illnesses and sicknesses, we worry about children falling away from the faith. We worry about our children just growing up and learning all that that entails, just trying to grow up. We worry about politics. We worry about those who are less fortunate than us. And we worry about losing loved ones. We have so little control and certainty about anything in this world. But the point of this passage is that through Jesus we can have a supernatural response to all of life's circumstances, and that's peace. We can have peace in the midst of that. Peace that surpasses all understanding. If worry is the barrier to peace, then prayer is the antidote to worry. In all things... Through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Prayer is the first response to worrisome situations. It's our first response. And there are so many great examples of this throughout Scripture. I'm so thankful for that. In the Old Testament, the story of Hannah Hannah was barren, and she desperately wanted children. And she prayed and she prayed and she finally went to the, temple, to the temple of God and she wept and she cried out to God, God, remember me, your servant, and give me a son. After her prayer at the temple, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 18 says, then Hannah went on her way. She ate and she no longer looked despondent. The peace of God came on her and God answered her prayers. She then had Samuel, and Samuel went on to serve the Lord all of his life. The story of Daniel, King Darius was tricked into making a law outlawing prayer. So what was Daniel's first response? Just pray. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house the windows in its upstairs room opened towards Jerusalem. And three days later, he got down, or, and three times a day, sorry, three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed and gave thanks to God just as he had done before. And we know the rest of the story of Daniel. The God of peace was with him the rest of his life. i want to read one more story from you and that's the story of Hezekiah. From the book of Second Kings, Hezekiah was diagnosed with a terminal illness. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 for you. In those days, Hezekiah became terminally ill. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, came and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Set your house in order, for you are about to die. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord. Remember how I have walked before you faithfully and wholeheartedly have done what pleases you. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Isaiah, the prophet, had not yet gone out of the inner courtyard when the word of the Lord came back to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Look, I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the Lord's temple and I will add 15 years to your life. I will rescue you and this city from the grasp of the king of Assyria. In the midst of worrisome events, prayer is an act of faith. It's an act of faith acknowledging that God is the one in control of our circumstances. And no matter what they are, big or small, we have little control over them. But God the creator does. And praise him because he answers and listens to our prayers. What he promises is not always easy answers, but rather that no matter what happens, the peace of God will guard your hearts and guard your your minds. So, if you find yourself in constant worry, then the believer's response is is to be in constant prayer. The third barrier to a peaceful life is when we dwell on worldly things. Let's finish our passage here. Uh, Verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. If you find yourself dwelling on injustices, dwelling on corrupt things, dwelling on things that are impure, then your mind and your thought life is not at peace. What do you fill your mind with? You know, more than just TV and social media, you know, let's think about when you have a little free time to think, where does your mind go? Where does it wander off to? What is going on in the back of your mind throughout the day? I think that's how we identify what we're dwelling on. I think that's how we know what we've been filling our mind with. Do you dwell on things that are true or do you dwell on the lies and the conspiracies? Do you dwell on what's honorable or do you tend to dwell on the shame? Do you dwell on what's just or do you dwell on all the things that are unfair and there are many? Do you dwell and think about what's pure or impure? We could keep going, But this is just a list of things that are from God versus things that are of the world. God has given us so much good that we can dwell on. I think about the beauty of His creation and the the majesty of it is praiseworthy. I think about the laughter and joy that comes from my children and that is so lovely. I think about the faithfulness of my wife. It's honorable and it is pure. I really like this quote um, because I think it's said well uh, by Warren Wiersbe and his commentary on Philippians. Peace involves the heart and the mind. Wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling and before long, the heart and the mind are pulled apart and we're strangled by worry we must realize that thoughts are real and thoughts are powerful. Even though they cannot be seen, weighed, or measured, we must bring into captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, how do we take our thoughts captive is an age-old question in the church because that's a really hard thing to do, right? Uh, And a while ago, Pastor Brian gave a sermon about meditation. He talked about how the Bible describes meditation not as emptying your mind to dwell on nothing, but to dwell on things that are above and to meditate on things above, to fill our minds with the things that are good. Psalms 1 verse 2 says, Instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. Joshua 1.8 says this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. As believers, we should be reading God's word and meditating on it. That way, when we have unhealthy thoughts that creep up into our mind, We can quickly pull up truth in Scripture to take those thoughts captive. If we become consumers of the world, then our minds and our hearts will follow. Let's be consumers of God's Word, consumers of good worship, of good fellowship of the gifts and talents that God has given us, of his creation, and then peace will follow. Now we've talked about uh, three barriers to a peaceful life. Conflict, worry, and dwelling on worldly things. And Paul has given us really practical applications and practical actions that we can take in order to address this and to break those barriers of peace. Seek help from trusted believers. Be gracious to all people and all circumstances. Pray often and let's fill our minds and our time with the things of God, things that are good. However, I want to be cautious. I want to be cautious not to cheapen the peace of God into four easy steps. And all four of these actions are easier said than, said than done. I get that. But what's most important is in verse nine. Verse nine tells us, do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. A peaceful life is about having Jesus in your life. The God of peace will be with you is the promise that we can cling on to regardless of any circumstances going on and it's what we can have eternal hope in. In chapter three of Philippians, Paul says, I want to know him. I consider all things worthless compared to the surpassing value of just knowing Jesus. Peace is not about the absence of trouble in your life. Peace is the presence of God in your life. I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus is where peace is found. As we begin to celebrate this Advent season, we celebrate Emmanuel that the Prince of Peace came down from heaven to be with us. And if you're here today and you don't know the Prince of Peace or peace just seems so far out of reach in your life right now, come to the cross, draw near to Jesus, pray to him well, worship him well, celebrate him well, Break the barriers of peace by accepting Jesus into your life. And if you already have, accept his wise counsel into your life circumstances and draw near to him. Now, if you would like prayer after service today, um, the elders and their wives that are here, we would love to pray with you. Uh, And we're going to wrap up today. We'll get you out of here before noon. TikTok. So, please stand for our, our benediction. Our benediction comes out of John chapter 16, verses thir- 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. May you go in peace. Thanks for being here.